Today we'll be turning in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll be reading verses 12 through 26. We'll be reading this text as more of background to what we will talk about today. We'll be turning to many scriptures in God's Word to understand what it says about membership, about union with His body, even about what we have just witnessed in baptism. And so we would also turn in our Forms and Prayers book to Belgic Confession, Article 28. This can be found on page 184 in your Forms and Prayers book. We've been progressing through the Belgic and come this week to Article 28. And it fits well, like I said, with what we've just witnessed in baptism, which brings one into membership with Christ. We understand that there is part of our baptism a later act of a profession of faith, a response to the promises given to us in baptism. But baptism is that inclusion in membership to Christ's body, and thus there are obligations placed upon church members. We'll first read from 1 Corinthians 12, and before we do that, let's ask for God's blessing. Father in heaven, as we turn to your word, we pray that we would heed what it says, that you would convict our hearts, and that you would also strengthen our faith. We would better understand the charges, the obligations placed upon us, your people, to be faithful members in your church. And may, as we read this text, as we meditate on this topic, help us to understand the the glory and the beauty of the church and the covenant community. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning verse 12, will describe to us the one body, the people of God and the church. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Sends the reading of God's word. And what I want us to take away specifically from that reason is from that reading is the understanding that there is one body of which the Lord here understands that we would all be a member of. That we are all one body and we are all members of it. That is the understanding. 
joined to the body of Christ. And now we read Article 28 of the Belgic Confession. The Obligations of Church Members. It says, We believe that since this holy assembly and congregation is the gathering of those who are saved, and there is no salvation apart from it, no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, regardless of his status or condition, but all people are obliged to join and unite with it, keeping the unity of the church by submitting to its instruction and discipline, by bending their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and by serving to build up one another according to the gifts God has given them as members of each other in the same body. And to preserve this unity more effectively, it is the duty of believers, according to God's word, to separate themselves from those who do not belong to the church in order to join this assembly wherever God has established it, even if civil authorities and royal decrees forbid and death and physical punishment result. And so all who withdraw from the church or do not join it act contrary to God's ordinance. People of God, you find yourself or may have found yourself in such a position where you are talking to someone, perhaps someone you know well, maybe a stranger, someone you do not know that well, and have a conversation. Oh, you are a Christian, you find out and you talk about. And one of the questions you ask this this person who is claiming the faith is, where are you a member? Which church do you attend? And then you find yourself in an interesting conversation with someone who says, well, I, I'm not a member anywhere. I, I don't belong to a church, nor do I think I must. I, I don't think membership is a requirement of God's people and would even go so far as to say membership isn't found in God's word. And you seek to explain the, the importance to it, but perhaps you find yourself at a loss. At a loss because you cannot think of a simple verse that says that you must be a member of a church per se. Perhaps you are not familiar with it, and so there is a bit of struggling as you you assume, well, no, membership is important. I, I always assumed it was required, but how do I prove this? How do I understand it? How do I represent it and think of it myself? I bring this not really a hypothetical situation. I'm sure many of us have found ourselves in this situation before, but I bring this up to lay before us the very current issue, very current dilemma where the church is discarded and a membership in it is discarded as being relatively unimportant. And what I would say as we begin is this is a grave, dangerous error. One that will reap nothing but problems, nothing but a weak faith in this person's life, in your life, if this is the pathway you choose to not be a faithful member of a church. You see, the Belgic Confession presents in Article 28 this obligation of church members, and this is so relevant that I've decided to, to span two weeks as we cover it. Today, all I want us to focus on is not necessarily the article or this text, which we'll do more next time, but rather the scriptural basis for membership itself. The answer to that, that dilemma posed to us by this stranger, this one we're talking about, is membership in the church important? That might not sound like a fun topic, but it's so necessary. This is, this is where we're at in our situation. The church is, is on its decline in our contexts for the most part. And we as God's people must understand this importance. 
There are two real, real reasons to study it this in depth, apart from the fact that it is so pressing on our context. And that is that we cannot assume, first of all, that we understand this. We cannot assume that we've got it all figured out. We must be able to understand why membership is important to protect our own faith. That as we would progress, we would not turn away from the church, God's bride, and that we would even understand turning from the church as none other than turning away from Christ. That's how important this is. To turn away from Christ and his body is to reject Christ himself. That's the point. That's the point of the the article in the Belgic. Even that's the point in God's word that we'll see as we examine many of these scriptures, these passages that speak of membership. Today, our theme is loyalty to Christ demands union with his body. And so as we progress through this, let's not forget that main point. That loyalty to Christ demands union with his body. You see, the claim, the claim all too prevalent today is, I can love Christ without the church. And I would argue to that person, that is a straight lie. First John, we'll talk about how to love God. You must love your neighbor. You must love your brother. And part of loving your brother is that you would be, as 1 Corinthians 12 talks about, members with them. And part of loving and being a member with them is in being part of a body and a church. To turn away from a church would be to turn away from your brother, which would be to turn away from Christ. How can you love your brother? How can you love the God and not love his people? You can't. That's what God's word would say, and so this is of extreme importance, and I'm belaboring it to press that importance. That we would not just think membership is something that can be cast aside, that joined to Christ's body is a light matter, and that we possess it all in ourselves, that it's up to us to decide and to cast it aside at our will. It is not. It's a requirement of Christ. You see, this means to reject the rule of the church and to ignore and spurn and withdraw from a true church. And I will say here as we begin, that is the, the background of all that I'm going to say. The understanding that the church I'm talking about is a true church. If this were a false church, if a church to which you were joined is a false church, you would be required to separate from it and join a true church. We'll see what makes a true church a true church in the next article of the Belgic, but here we focus on membership in a true church and its scriptural demand, its command. The church, first of all, has the delegated authority of Christ himself. The church has the declarative ministerial authority that Christ has given it, and this is of extreme importance when we're talking about this. I want to give us an illustration of that. Parents who possess authority over their children will often delegate authority. And to reject the delegation of their authority is to reject the parent's own authority. And so I'll give a very common answer, one or very common situation, boys and girls, one that you might know well. Boys and girls, when you're at a party... When you're at a family party, you're playing and having fun, and it gets later and later in the day, and it's, it's getting time to leave. And what often happens is one of your siblings comes up to you and says, Mom or Dad said it's time to go. 
Mom or dad says it's time to go. And in, in this illustration, we'll, we'll name them Sam and Billy. Sam receives from his mom and dad. It's Sam, go tell Billy it's time to leave. And so Sam goes, and he goes to Billy and says, Billy, we have to go. Now, if Billy, if, if this, this child was told by his sibling, Mom and Dad say that we have to go, if he doesn't listen to Sam's word, who is he disobeying? Well, in one sense, he, he's disobeying his, his brother. His brother has come with this delegated authority because of the commission that his parents gave him and that passing of an authority to now go and declare to his brother that it's time to go, to not listen to them, is in, this, in that way, a small way perhaps, to disregard the authority of the brother. But much more than that, it is to disregard completely the authority of the one who passed that authority on. Who passed that message on? This is exactly the situation of the church. Christ has delegated to it authority. And so to ignore the church, to ignore the call of the church, to ignore the call of elders who are faithfully performing their duties is not to just ignore them. Yes, it is in that small way, but in that much greater way, it's to ignore Christ. And we have to be clear about that. We can't leave any room for error to disregard the authority of the, the duly appointed officers in the church is to ignore Christ himself. And we have to understand authority in a day and age where we don't like it. We don't think authority really matters, and we buck against it. We like to be that, that Old Testament saying, a stiff-necked people. We don't want that yoke we don't want that yoke placed over us of someone else who has authority, someone to whom we must submit. And so that thick neck of ours bucks it, seeks to throw the yoke off. But what is that yoke? It's not an elder's oppressiveness. It's Christ telling you to submit. And so if we were to tell the church, no, you, we, we won't listen to you, we're not going to join you, we're not going to respond to you, we are in fact saying that to Christ himself. This is why we are to be so thorough here, to protect us from it, and to also protect those whom we interact, to show that brotherly love. Because the worst thing for these brothers and sisters who turn away from a church is that their faith will be severely weakened. It's being cut off in the midst of the sea without any help, and you're just floating there. And how long can you last without the supply of water? without the help of the saints, without the body, as 1 Corinthians 12 would say. 1 Corinthians 12 makes, makes the point, where would the ear be without the eye, and, and vice versa? Where is a member without the body? It isn't. It's cut off. And will soon, will soon die, or their faith will be severely weakened. Perhaps, I'm not saying that there can't be any salvation. We'll deal with that in the next time when we talk about the article 28 perhaps there still will be a faith there but it won't be a vital strong one it can't be so cut off from the people of god and the means he has put in place today it is so common for people to spurn membership to church hop to only casually attend places they sort of like the vibes or atmosphere and the worship style most people think they hold it firmly in their hands and can decide where to go and when to go and this just discard the understanding of Christ and his church. So today I want to build the scriptural argument for church membership 
as we look at commission, worship, submission, and discipline. Commission, worship, submission, and discipline. All of this is to build the scriptural case that the Bible understands. God understands the only true standing for a church and a member is union. But all the commands that we'll look at here and all the expectations require one to be joined to a local church. So first, commission. We've already begun to talk about that, that first step of commission. Obviously, the authority of the church must rest on something greater than itself, and it does. It rests on the authority of Christ, who has commissioned it. Christ has commissioned the church to possess this authority, that delegated authority. We read in Matthew chapter 16, and I would recommend, if you are taking notes, Take notes of these texts. If ever you're trying to understand, how do I build the case for the necessity of church membership? You turn here and have them at your disposal. So Matthew 16, verses 16 to 19. This is where Simon Peter replies, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Here we see the giving of the keys of the kingdom to the apostles through Peter, and by representation the apostles themselves. And what we would say is that authority given to the apostles is very clearly passed on to the church. For in the New Testament, we see the apostles even exercising these keys through elders and the church as they will tell the church to enact these keys, to open the kingdom, even to close it against some. And so the church is the one that receives this authority of the keys of the kingdom. Another very well-known text is the Great Commission in Matthew 28:16 to 20 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I pause. I pause there, for then what comes next is very important. Why is Jesus citing that all authority has been given to him? Because here's now a commission. Here's now this delegation of authority. He's passing this authority on. All authority is given to me. And then he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then we notice something else. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's according to God's perfect providence that we have a baptism this morning. To understand what is baptism, baptism is the joining and being made a disciple of God's people. The commission is go out and make disciples given to the church. If you're making a disciple, you're making one who is then joined to something and must be joined to something. If you are a baptized Christian and are not a member of a church, you're going against the very promises given to you in your baptism. You're going against that sign. So we see that church membership is required even in the sacraments that are performed, even in the commissioning that God gives to the church to make disciples. It requires that we as members are then disciples of the church. Both of those passages we just read give that commission the keys of the kingdom. I want you to ask yourself these questions. How can the Great Commission take place without church membership and its accompanying obligation? How can the Great Commission take place if there's nothing to be joined to? 
or if it's not a requirement. How can the keys of the kingdom given to open and close it have any effect unless there is an obligation by God himself to all his people to be joined, to have the kingdom opened to them, or in cases of discipline, closed? There is an obligation and understanding that there is then church membership. If it's a true church and you oppose it, you oppose Christ. So that's the first, is the understanding of commission. The second scriptural step, we would say, to build church membership is worship. It's worship. We see that in this, we've looked at this text in detail in the, in the past. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's that understanding, even that command, to gather together. Don't neglect the gathering together of the saints, is what Hebrews says. A couple chapters chapters after that, in Hebrews 12, it will describe New Testament worship as being far more grand than the worship of the Old Testament. Paul himself presents to the church conduct, how they are to conduct themselves in worship. Why do I bring that up? If he's providing steps of conduct and how worship is to be conducted, the Paul's own expectation would be that the church, the church would be there to worship. I'm not going to read these texts, but 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 26 to 40, present an account of orderly worship. At the end of that account, there's the famous verse that all things in church are to be done decently and in good order. That understands, and there's a governance of worship. The church, the elders govern worship to which you're called to attend. How can there be a governance of worship to those who wouldn't be members to have no, if I could put it in this everyday phrase, no skin in the game? It's nothing to those who just come and sit and hear a sermon and leave. That isn't membership. Membership is far more than listening to a message, and that's what we so often equate membership with. It's the place you go to hear a sermon. I said it last time when we looked at Article 27, that's why there's been gaining this traction that we can, we can just listen to the sermon, we can just watch it on a computer or a TV, and we're engaging in that full worship service, but we're not. The sermon itself, the message itself, is not the full worship. Attendance is required for that. There's more to it. There's a joining of this body to which you worship and and give and present your gifts to this body, and you use it, and you worship together. There's a fulsomeness in membership, something that's sorely lacking in our day. So orderly worship requires membership. Paul will give in 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 to 15, a very similar instruction about how to conduct yourselves in worship. So the understanding is that those who are Christians will be baptized. They will bring their children to be baptized. They will attend worship that will be governed decently and in good order, requiring union with a local church, reunion with a body. So we've seen church membership is required by the commission given to the church. Church membership is required by the obligation to worship. Church membership is required by all the commands of submission. That's our third point, the commands to submit. This step and the next step of discipline are very important. I'm going to read several texts about submission to authorities. Acts 20, 28 says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Acts 20, 28 is a call to the leaders, to the elders, to pay careful attention and even names them as overseers. Overseers of what? To this hypothetical person we're talking to who said church membership isn't required or necessary, it's just to love Christ. Well, Christ tells you to submit to your overseer. To have an overseer, you have membership, a union that's faithful where your overseer knows who you are, where your overseer will care for you, where you will submit and be protected by the ministry of your overseer. Titus 2, verses, Titus 2, 15 to chapter 3, verse 2 says this, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Here you see Paul tell, again, leaders to let no one disregard you, to rebuke with what? All authority. Remember that commission that Christ was given all authority? And this authority he passes on to the leadership in the church. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So there's the call to submit to the people of God. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. To have a leader, you have to be joined, do we not? You see, the, the mark of the church of discipline cannot even function unless there's membership. That's why it might seem odd. Why are we belaboring the membership part? Isn't, isn't that sort of extra biblical? But what I'm hoping we see as we go through this is it isn't. It's part and parcel. It's fundamental to who we are. Membership in the covenant community. It's what, as we saw again this morning, it's what each of us had placed upon us in the washing of baptism. That we belong to the church. In this next passage... As I read it, I want you to think, how could this passage make any sense unless there were an obligation or a command by God to be a member of a church? 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 5. Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders." Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That passage makes no sense without a command underlying it that you, that we, God's people, are joined to Christ. This is why it's important. It may sound like a rather disposable topic. Don't we all get this? Don't we all find this important? 
As soon as we assume we know something and stop trying to teach it and understand it, we lose it. And our goal here would not be just, I want us to have a good response for that hypothetical person that says church membership isn't necessary. And so we can go, there we go, I got my responses, I showed him. No. It's that we would be protected ourselves and that we could help that person. It's that we would understand how important membership is to Christ. This is very practical. Immensely applicable today that we show love to our Savior in loving his people. We show respect and honor to Christ when we submit and our members. How glorious a thought is it that merely by being a faithful member here, you please Christ. We so often think, I need to please Christ, so I need to go do this. I need to go read my Bible. I need to go act. And that is true. We act to please Christ. We act to honor him. But the very fact that we honor him simply by being a faithful member in a church, by valuing membership with his body and submitting to him, it's like as parents, your children, who do not necessarily, they're doing something for you, but they live in respect to who you are. Are you not thankful for these children? Do you not show love and have so much love for them that respect you, even when you're not telling them to go act? But that's the way they exist as God's people when we exist in this way and we aren't a problem in the church. We honor Christ. We are part and faithful members of it. He's glorified and praised. We can praise him in that way. That's amazing. It's amazing that by being submissive, sitting under him in that way, he's honored and glorified. So we've seen, we've seen all these steps. We've seen it in the commissioning, in the worship, in the submitting, and now we see it last in discipline. In discipline. We already read the passage from Matthew 16 where the keys of the kingdom are given. But discipline in Matthew 18 is, Matthew 18 gives to us the real process of church discipline that's laid out. Matthew 18 verses 15 to 20 says this, If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And then notice this verse. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. There's that process for discipline. And yet that process, again, it only works to understand there's a church to go to. There is a membership to be lost for discipline to work, for you to be protected. And that's not a light threat. We've lost a bit of our understanding of the impressiveness, the importance of the keys of the kingdom. They open eternity and close it. 
See how dangerous it is to not be part of those who actually possess the keys of the kingdom? Because it's not just an individual Christian. An individual Christian doesn't possess the authority of the keys of the kingdom. It is the church. The danger of being separated, the danger that so many in our world walk straight into. We see it in the understanding of discipline. In 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 and 13, Paul gives before it a list of sins that will, in, in perpetual committing of them without repentance, will take away, sal- not take away salvation, but will render one outside of the kingdom. He then responds to the church in this way. For what I have to do with judging outsiders... Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. The mark of discipline shows church membership. And so I hope we've seen as we've gone through that church membership is required, but I do want to address one thing before we close. And that's the very dangerous, again, situation we find so common today. And that is what is, for all intents and purposes, is an inactive membership. One that's still retained on paper. One that might check a membership box, but is one that is largely ignored. You're on the roll somewhere, but the elders there don't even know your situation. You haven't really faithfully attended that place in many years, but you bear no thought to the fact that those are your elders. That is where your membership is at. There's a giant logistical nightmare right now in the church with membership. And where is it and who has it? You know, we talk about the papers of the church. Do you have your membership papers? And we all think there's these like papers that are like framed somewhere. It's, it's where your membership was at. And it's the, those leaders and those eldership, their responsibility to have on their files, yes, on paper, whatever format, your name and an understanding of your, your life and doctrine. Is this a member in good standing? And the whole purpose of that is that if you are to leave to go to another church, those elders can tell the new church elders, this is the status, this is what they are. They are a member in good standing. We recommend them to you. Or they can say, these members have been delinquent in faith and doctrine. These members have not shown true membership. It is ultimately a protection. It's a protection to the church, to the body of Christ. It's a protection to you. But we bear no thought for it today so frequently. It is this nightmare, this nightmare of it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I'm not really a member where I'm attending because I'll probably just as quickly go to a different church. What does that say? There are legitimate reasons when you're looking for a church, but there is no legitimate reason for your membership to lapse. You see, there are times, transitions, moving away, marriages, all these things that mean we we move our membership. But in the design of the church and how it works, you're protected or should be protected that whole time where you have good relations with the church you're leaving. Those elders are still interactive with you. They still monitor and protect you. And then when you find that right church in your new area, your membership is passed to them. Your care is passed to them so that this new church can care for you. But what we see so often today are nomad Christians. 
constantly on a journey. Sometimes it is difficult to find true churches in situations, but what I've also seen then is those who hide behind the difficulty. We just can't, we just can't find that church, that church that really fits. And you ask, well, how long has it been? Well, it's, it's, been, a, it's, been, you know, it's been a few years. How common is that? What does, what does that say? Either the answer is that we have to, to drive a fair distance to then be faithful members at a good church, and that's necessary. Or there needs to be change in ourselves. That there is quite likely a faithful, true church that just doesn't fit every checkbox that we want. It's just not young enough, or it's just not, it's not, the music isn't the way we like it to be. And these reasons that are all, all so, they're not the primary reason, they're so far down the list, then keep us from true membership. Then keep us from a local body. We have to protect against that. And as we close here, why? Because again, it's service to Christ. This isn't meant to be a soapbox sermon so that we can talk about membership. What this is called to be is our service to Christ himself. We can say from all the texts that we read, we are displeasing him when we don't value our membership and when we are not members of a local church that is not to spurn our brothers and sisters, which is bad enough. It's to spurn Christ. There is protection and great glory in the church. This is an amazing institution. It's one where as we call to worship, as we gather together, you literally are transported from here to heaven, spiritually speaking. It's one where you come and where God's faithful word is preached, you hear the voice of God. It's one outside of a worship service where Christ under-shepherds his elders are literally the, the caring hands of Christ to you, the protective hands of spiritual authority for you. Why does membership matter? Because it matters to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the calls for your word, that calls in your word to submit, the calls in your word for commissioning, for worship, for discipline, these things that protect us and guard us and guide us. And we pray that those here who are faithful members, that they would be encouraged, they would understand the great glory of being a member, and they would so value it and thus honor your dear name and those here who know others facing this situation and this dilemma, may they be of help, help to protect their brothers and sisters from great harm. And for those of us here who may be in this situation, may you convict and also help to bring them into true membership of a church which they can receive the means of grace, the sacraments, the preaching of your word, the community of a body, and thus praise your name. We ask this all for your glory. Amen.